disciple and bless us. That's the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? And then I give you guys Youth Minister Donovan Gregory. Just like Dave said, I am Donovan Gregory. I am the youth minister here at Calish Christian Church. I have been the youth, minist the youth minister for about four months, almost. Um, and this is, I preached earlier, but I was thrown into a series. This is the first sermon that I've had my own creative liberties on. Dave has helped me, but uh, this is all from my heart. This is all that I wanted to tell you that God has put on me that I felt like we needed to hear as a congregation. Uh, so, like, the, termins, uh, the sermon's title is Donovan's Excellent Adventure. And the main thing is I don't want what this world has to offer. So I promise this sermon won't be bogus, heinous, and most non-triumphant. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I said, I'm the youth minister, and I really want to tell you all why I'm here and how I got here. Um, I'm a winner. I love to win. Uh, just like most people in here, no one really wants to lose but this uh, kind of was ingrained in my head more. I took this assessment in my class that I'm currently in. It's called the High Five Assessment. It gives you your top five abilities. And two of my top three abilities were winning was number two and coaching was number three. So this kind of just emphasis the fact that I love to win. Um, I grew up, I'm the baby of five. Three of my siblings are boys. So we grew up competing, wrestling, fighting, who gets to eat first, who gets to eat the, the bad food, whatever it was. We competed over everything, and we still uh, do special shout-out to my brother Hayden. We're still undefeated in cornhole at every family function. Shows you how competitive we still are. But I've allowed this to transform my faith as well. Uh, because I'm a winner, um, I push myself harder. And this sometimes has a negative effect on me. Uh, I played soccer growing up, just like Dave mentioned earlier. Um, if I didn't compete to the best of my ability, even if my team still won, I would go home and tear myself up about it. What could I do better? Uh, I was a goalkeeper, so if I got scored on, if we won 2-1, how did I get scored on? Why, why didn't you stop that goal? I would tear myself up about it, and I would probably not do my homework that night, but that was just the excuse to use to not do my homework that night. But it also went into schooling as well. If I did a test and I failed the test or I got a low grade on a test that I thought I was prepared for, or if we were in a project and I didn't do so well in this project that I thought I was going to do amazing on, I'd be the first one to beat myself up about it. Uh, so winning is awesome, and it's especially great when we know we're winning in our face, but it has affected me as a person as well, just like many other people I'm sure here it's been affected. Uh, but like I said, winning in my faith is something that I love because I know that when I decided to follow Jesus, that we won. We won our battle of salvation because Jesus died and then rose three days later. And it's promised in Scripture that he's going to come back down here and defeat all the evil this world has to offer us. Uh, I realized that there are four steps into uh, saying I don't want what this world has to offer anymore. And it all stems from my favorite verses, John 3, 16 through 18. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be there all service. Uh, 3.16-18 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is my favorite verse for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is it's the first verse that I ever memorized, and I'm really bad at remembering things, so it kind of just stuck in my brain. The second one is somehow it always pops out when I need it the most. 
This verse, if I'm struggling in my faith, if I'm struggling mentally or emotionally, if I'm struggling physically, this verse is either put in my face if I'm listening to Air One and it's the verse of the day or it just pops into my head. Whatever it is, this verse always comes to the top of my brain whenever I need it the most. So the first step in this whole not saying you want what the world has is that we have to believe in Jesus. Uh, over my life, I've, I've grown to all three of these, but when I was little, um, I had a little brain that couldn't remember a lot, so just verse 16 was the only thing that would stick. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When I was little, this phrase, if we believe in God, if we believe the son of the living God has come down here to save us, we will not perish but have eternal life, was ingrained in my brain and I was in awe at this idea that this person would send their one and only son down just to forgive us of sins when he could easily just push us to the side and create more humans who might love him. But he didn't. He sent his son down here to die for us on a cross. And that's the great news of the gospel. That is what is so powerful in that one verse. Uh, so when I was little, I played upward. Uh, like a lot of kids, you either cheered or you played upward basketball. And if you remember, you would get those stars on the left shoulder would be like best offensive player, best defensive player. And then on the right shoulder would be the green stars, if you remember the memory verse. And I'm a winner, like I said earlier, so I wanted as many stars as possible. So I tried to remember that verse as much as possible so I could get more green stars than anyone on this team. And, well, it kind of worked out. It's stuck in my head, and it's now my favorite verse of all time. Uh, but I had a shallow understanding of that verse, just like many people do. It's very simple. It's got a great shallow meaning that God came down, God sent his son down here to die on a cross for us, and if we believe in him, we go to heaven. But there's something else we have to do. We have to believe that Satan is real just as much as we believe that Jesus is real. Uh, I, was, I was in class recently, and we talked about this New York Times study. Um, we were talking about spiritual warfare on us and how it affects us and how to battle it back. But we talked about this article New York Times wrote. They surveyed about 10,000 people, and 95% of those people believed in God or Jesus of some being. Those people being in America roughly adds up to what we would expect. However, this is where it kicked me in the butt. 30% of those people, only 30% of them, believed Satan was real. So the 70% of that 95 people that, didn't, that believed in Jesus uh, didn't believe Satan is real. So when we don't believe Satan is real, Satan doesn't have to do anything. Slowly our brains will be like, well, why are we uh, sacrificing all this time, this money, this energy into something that saved us from something we don't even believe in? So we have to believe in Jesus as the Son of the living God. He came down here to save us. But we have to believe that Satan is also real. And he is attacking us spiritually, physically, whatever it may be. He's real as well and that we can't lose sight of the fact that we love Jesus and he sacrificed himself to get rid of the evils of this world, to get rid of Satan, to defeat Satan. And so when we don't believe Satan is real, we are losing. And like I said earlier, who wants to lose? It's, it's not fun to lose. So I am determined to be on the winning side of that. I'm determined to be on the Jesus is real and Satan is real, but Satan can't do anything to touch me because I believe Jesus is the one and only son. The second step is realizing that what we believe, especially as Christians, is so different than every other thing in the world. We believe that God loved us so much, he has grace for us, that we get to go to heaven because his son sacrificed for us. 
Every other religion in this world, I'm sure you've all heard it thousands of times, but every other religion in this world, there's something they have to do. There's some path that they have to follow, or they get reincarnated based on how they uh, were in their previous life. All these crazy things for eternity, uh, but they have to do something. We don't have to do anything to get to heaven, except for just the grace of God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, we are accepted into heaven by grace. No deeds, no eightfold paths, no reincarnation to be a better person, none of that. So John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came down here, and he became fully human, but he was also fully God. But he never pulled the God card. He showed us what it's like to be a perfect, good human being. Uh, He was the light of the world. And when he joined us as humans, the goal for him was to die on a cross and save us all of our sins. No matter what that sin was, he would do it. He was on that cross for us. It's so crazy to me that God would sacrifice his one son for all of us who he knows may not believe in him one day or just keep on sinning. It's like if you have children, uh, if you're son or daughter goes to your purse or your wallet and steals five dollars and then comes back and is like, mom, dad, I stole five dollars, I'm sorry. And then next week, again, they steal five dollars and they're like, mom, dad, I'm sorry, I stole five dollars. I feel so bad about it. I won't do it again. And then next week, they steal five dollars. As a parent, one, you should be hiding your money better. Two, (laughs) two, it's so just mind-boggling to me that we do all these horrible, terrible things, these evils that are in this world, but Jesus and God, they care, but they love us so much that we're accepted into heaven as human beings as we are. The third step, though, is realizing that Jesus is the cure. Before we find Jesus, we are lost and we are sick. We are blinded by the evils of this world. This is something I love to push in the youth ministry. I, I love to push the fact that Jesus is always the answer. Studying in the Word is always the answer. Praying to God is always the answer. When we go towards Jesus, we go towards what He wants us to be. When we listen to Jesus and we use Him as our cure, He's what we want to be. Uh, verse 18 wasn't recently added to my favorite verses until about two years ago. Um, I still struggle with memory. It's just a little bit different. I'm just getting older as kids say, but um, (laughs) it wasn't added till I'd say about two and a half years ago that this verse really stuck in my brain as a whole. Uh, John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So I had just moved back from home from Tiffin, uh, where I played soccer in college. Um, I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit more, but Timeline-wise, I had just moved home from Tiffin. I was uh, a second-semester freshman at, at this school, and I, I, broke, I broke my foot. So I moved home, and um, I began to work. I began to do what every 19, 20-year-old kid does. I just work. I want money, so I want to work. Uh, so I worked, and I didn't have many friends, just because all my friends kind of separated when we graduated high school. Uh, but this is when I studied John by myself. And this verse really stuck out to me because it made me feel like I was uh, receiving a cure. I was being removed 
of things that I no longer could see. I could see the whole picture. We all live in Kentucky, or at least we are in Kentucky right now. You all have seen horses if you've been to Keeneland or been to the Derby. A lot of them will have blinders on so they don't see the big crowds. They don't get spooked when they're racing. And Satan has put blinders on all of us. Satan's put these blinders on us so we don't see the evils that are beside us, so we don't get spooked and turn to God. He makes sure we're focused straight ahead on that finish line of what we want to do and not what God wants us to do. But we have to take those blinders off because without taking those blinders off, we're just focused straight ahead on what we want. We don't see the evils. We don't get spooked enough to turn around and go to God. Uh, So we have to take those blinders off of us or as the kids these days, we got to yeet them blinders off. But <laughs> when he finally took my blinders off, he showed me the truth that this world had for me. And it was insane the difference in my life that had happened and how happy I was, how joyous I was. I wasn't always happy. We're not always happy, but I was joyous. I was optimistic now. I always looked to the bright side of things when those blinders finally came off. And I got scared enough to go back to God. I know that's such a weird analogy that we get scared enough to go back to God, but a lot of us who live in America, we don't get scared very easily because we have nice cushy house. We go to a home that has air conditioning. We have a bed. We have our own rooms usually. Uh, We have food on the table typically. We don't have a lot to worry about. So there's not a lot of things that can easily spook us to turn us back to God, except for when we take those blinders off. It's a lot easier in those smaller third world countries for them to see what spooks them right ahead in India and Nepal where we have ministries because they see those every day because they're right in front of their faces. Like the kids, like Dave talked about last week, like the kids who, whose parents beg them to take them to the orphanage or the parents who beg uh, on the sidewalk. I went to India when I was little and I saw the same thing in those small or uh, third world countries, those spooky things right in front of them. And when they turn to God, like our orphanage has in the ministry in our orphanage, so much can get done there. But in America, it's a lot harder for us to get scared just because it's not as much right in front of our face. We have to remove those blinders, especially in America as Americans, because we have so much um, that we need to spread. We have so much uh, financially or food-wise or whatever it may be that we're able to give to these people that need it but we won't unless we realize what's around us. Because when we see a panhandler on the side of the road, we might just ignore him. Oh, that's some dude who just wants some money. But in those other countries, those people are every two feet, and they realize what they need. So we have to take our blinders off if we want to serve God the way we want to serve God. So my last step is saying that I don't want this anymore. I personally don't want what God or what Satan is offering me. I want what God is offering me. Everyone has to make that decision on their own. We can't make that decision for someone else. We talk about all the time, we can guide people to God all we want, but it's up to them and it's up to the Holy Spirit to guide them to God completely. So we personally have to say, I don't want what the world has to offer anymore. And this happened for me, uh, like I said, kind of after I moved home from Tiffin. Um, I want what God wants. I want to be a part of his story. I want to help with God's needs and wants and how he wants to grow his kingdom. So I grew up in a church 
my whole life, but that's kind of what we did down in the Bible Belt, and, and that's just what you did. It was culturally acceptable. If you went to a public school, probably sixth grade and under, and you asked those kids if they went to church, nine out of ten of them probably would say yes, just because that's what you did, even if you didn't agree with it all or whatever it may be. You had friends you wanted to see. You had... Uh, maybe if you're in middle school, you had a cute girl you wanted to see, or if you're an adult, you had your friends that you wanted to see, or you were pressured by family, whatever it may be, we just culturally accepted the fact that we all go to church, mostly down here in the Bible Belt. Um, but I played sports growing up, so there were some Sundays I missed, um, and Dave touched on it a little bit ago. I played soccer, I was a goalkeeper at Henry Clay High School, just like the one and only David Kibler. Uh, however, I played in the state tournament, I lost, and he won, and he rubs it in my face all, he, all the time, so have at it as you will. But um, he mentioned the fact that it's not changed. The culture around high school sports and college sports has not changed. Uh, all the kids drank and partied and tried to see how many girls they can get, and I learned so many new words when I was a freshman on varsity it was some of the words I don't think I could ever repeat in my life, ever, if I wanted to, but um, that's just the environment. And I played into that environment because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be a part of the team. I didn't care how good I was. I wanted to be a part of the team. And if I didn't fit in, then I wasn't a part of the team, at least in my mind. And it got worse when I got into college because most of them were the drinking age, so it was a lot easier for them to go out to bars and get drunk every night or uh, buy alcohol and get drunk in their dorm room or whatever it may be, uh, and they treated women just as poorly most of the time. Not all of the kids were like this on these sports teams, but a lot of them are, or at least a lot of them play into the fact that they are to try and fit in. And that's kind of pushed me away from my faith. When I was at Tiffin University, which is a very small Division II school up in northwestern Ohio, about 20 minutes from Michigan border, um, it was the exact same. I was up there. I was alone. I didn't have any friends. I was the only other kid. There was one other kid from Kentucky, and he was from Louisville. And everybody else was from Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, or out of the country. Um, so I didn't really have any friends, especially because on a soccer, if you played college sports or have kids who do, they have to get there early in the fall, about two or three weeks before school starts because they start training. So I had no friends except for this soccer team that I was a part of. And the soccer team, all they wanted to do after practice was drink. All they wanted to do after practice was see how many girls they could hit on in the cafeteria. All they wanted to do after practice was play video games all day long and not really care about schoolwork. They were consumed with partying and drinking and getting high and all these things that college kids do. Uh, and that pushed me away from faith a little bit. There's no churches up there. Uh, that believed in the same thing I did, so I didn't go to church. I would listen to Dave's podcast every once in a while, but it became a chore, and it became miserable, and it felt like it became another homework assignment that I had to do. So I got lonely. I had friends, but they only wanted to party. So that's the only time I hung out with them is when they wanted to party and when we wanted to drink. And I realized that it's not what I want, but I didn't realize that until I came home. Fortunately, I broke my foot which sounds unfortunate, but I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't do that. I uh, was three months into my soccer season as a freshman, and I broke my foot in three different places. Uh, and I was told that I could maybe, probably, hopefully play after about a year of uh, physical rehab. And I was like, this school's way too expensive to take a maybe, so I'm just going to move home, because that's financially what was 
going to happen. Uh, I didn't think I was ever going to go play professional soccer, but um, my dream was crushed. But I, I came to church because my parents went to church. I grew up here, so I came back here. All my friends were here. All the people that cared about me, uh, who I didn't really think cared about me, were here. And it pushed me. It pushed me to be, uh, become the person that I am now. I would put on these masks when I was in school and college, and even when I was at UK for a little bit, I would, I would wear the soccer practice mask, and I would put on this facade that I love to drink, and I love to hook up with all these girls, and I love to cuss, and then I would go to class, and I'd put on this facade of, I'm the, I'm the teacher's pet, I'll do whatever the teachers want, I'm going to try and turn on my assignments, all I wanted, when really I hated school, and then I'd put on this mask uh, when I was around my friends that didn't play soccer, where I was a little bit different, and then I'd put on my mask when I was at church. I had my church mask on. And I would be this perfect, little, happy, nobody has any clue that there's something wrong with me um, person. And I, I was alone. My dreams had been crushed. I really had no friends. Uh, all my friends from high school, like I said, either dispersed or if they went to UK, they joined a frat and started doing those gross college boy things that I started to hate. They were miserable. I hated doing those partying. I hate crowds of people drinking. I hate the way it makes me feel. All those things. I hate talking bad about women and just sexualizing them. It, it was miserable. Um, but I, I turned those friends away. And I found a job where uh, I could not work on Sundays. So I started coming to church more. And then my friends there poured into me. And I joined a community group here. And I finally felt like I could take those masks off. I took all my masks and I shoved them in a duffel bag and I threw them away. I'm now who I truly am and truly what I want to be. I have no one telling me that I need to be this way or that way. I dress how I want to dress. I talk how I want to talk. And I love the people that I love no matter who they are. I love my family more than anything. I love my girlfriend more than anything. And I love Jesus and I love God more than anything because that's what I want to do. I was told in my life that family's weird and growing up in school, in public school, that hanging out with your family's so weird, you should come hang out with us and party. Or, wow, you have a girlfriend, you're going to you know, marry her one day and that's the only person you're ever going to be with. That's so weird. Just hook up with all these people at once that you want. I was told these things in my friend groups, quote unquote, and I finally took those masks off. I began to volunteer here in the youth group where I became a sponsor for a couple years and Rob took me aside and essentially told me that I was to go into ministry. Uh, Rob poured into me, where he's still pouring into me. We still meet every week, once a week. Um, but about three or four weeks, in, or three or four months into it, he really laid into me, and he told me, essentially, I need to drop out of UK. It's not where I'm supposed to be. I was at UK for two years after I moved home. I took about a year gap from where I broke my foot. I was studying journalism, um, and that's where I really realized journalism is not what I want to do. So I went into ministry, and my mom told me that's an awesome choice because it's journalist for Jesus, so you can use all the stuff you've learned and turn it into ministry, which I have so amazingly. I have the love and support of all my friends here where I finally could take off all my masks. I burnt them, and I honestly am saying I am the most joyous person I've ever been in my entire life because of my family and because of the people that I met here at this church because I finally told Satan, I don't want what you have to offer me in the world anymore. So I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. Um, I want to read John 3, 16 through 18, but I want to read it as a church together. So whenever it's up on the screen, we can read it together. Maybe. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save it through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Church, I'm asking you, are you ready to believe that Jesus is the one and only living God, the one and only Son of God who was sent down here to die for our sins? Are you ready to join the winning team and not be a loser like Satan? Because Satan knows he's already lost, but he's trying to bring down as many people as he wants. He's giving you all these masks. He's giving you all these temptations. He's putting blinders on you so you don't see what he's doing behind the scenes. Are you ready to take those masks off, burn them, rip your blinders off, and turn back to God? Are you ready to tell Satan to stop deceiving you, to stop lying to you? You want the grace that God has given you. You want to be loved by the only God on this planet because we are different as Christians because we get to heaven through grace and love that God has given us. I ask you if you have not told the world that you've had it with all their bullcrap that they have for you, that you turn and rip your blinders off and say, I've done with this. I'm ready to turn to God. I'm tired of what the world has to offer me. Amen. Thank you.